This morning's reading is from James, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Taming the tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil, part of e- a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Okay, so we're going through um, a series in the book of James at the moment, um, a book, uh, the small short book at the end of the New Testament. We believe written by James, the half-brother of Jesus, so somebody who knew Jesus um, very well indeed. And the strap line, as you can see from the graphic there, is uh, living like Jesus. We're asking God to open the eyes of our heart to learn uh, something from the book of James about what it means uh, to live like Jesus in our world today. And Joe has brought us um, three passages already. Um, From the beginning, he talked about trials and uh, what trials in our life mean to us and how we cope with them. Uh, The second time, he talked about having a long nose. If you are here, you'll know what that means. If you don't, then you have to go back and listen to that one. Um, And the third one, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about uh, favoritism um, and who your favorite people were in all souls. He didn't actually say that, no, but there we go. If you've missed any of those, do go back and listen to them. They're on SoundCloud, they're on iTunes, they're on uh, the My Church Suite app. You can email us, let us know. You can go back and listen to those as well. But now we're moving into um, chapter three. And today, our subject is how to live like Jesus in terms of taming our tongues. Now, if we read the first verse here again, I can see why Joe went on holiday this week and he left me to read this one. The first verse, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. In other words, we who stand up at the front of all souls and open the Bible and attempt to teach from what we read will be judged more strictly. And if I'd got any sense, I would probably sit down now and just let you guys read it for yourself and do that. But I'm going to take my life in my hands and I'm going to carry on. Um, I don't know what that judgment more strictly necessarily is. I'm always slightly concerned that right above my head is a massive cross um, that probably weighs about three tons. And I'm not entirely sure where the release button is in church and who has it. Whether it's with the wardens, I don't know, but there we go. Well, hopefully that stays up there uh, while we're preaching today. 
So at first glance, it might seem that this first verse sort of stands out a little bit. What's it there for? Um, it doesn't seem to link to anything else um, in the chapter. But I think it's there actually just to sit, make the reader and the listener sit up um, and take notice. And it does relate to what comes next. In James's day when he was, um, when he was writing this, um, the teachers in the Jewish and the Christian context were really esteemed and they were really revered. The majority of people in that day were still um, illiterate, and there was very much an oral tradition in terms of how uh, things were passed on, especially in terms of the Christian faith, where things of the New Testament hadn't been um, written down yet. So people relied on the teachers to be able to um, teach them and let them know um, what it was about. Uh, the rabbis in the Jewish faith, they were the master teachers, and they got great honor um, and respect. So it was quite natural in both the Christian and the Jewish tradition for people to kind of seek this um, office, whether they were fit or whether they were unfit, actually, to do it. And there's kind of evidence from the New Testament that these positions were already being abused. Um, Jesus talks um, in Matthew about the Pharisees, which were a, a kind of a sect of the Jewish leaders. And he says, everything they do is done for the people to see. They make their phylacteries, which were the boxes that they would, uh, on their arms and their foreheads, where they would carry part of the Old Testament scriptures about. Their phylacteries are wide, the tassels on their garments are long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. But Jesus then goes on to say, but they have neglected the more important matters of the law of justice and mercy and faithfulness. And elsewhere, he talks about them being the blind guides of the blind. So although it was, a, it was an office that was sought, not everyone was fit for that. And James is giving a bit of a warning here. Well, why do those who teach get judged more strictly? Well, I don't know if you've heard of the phrase, with great power comes great responsibility. Anyone want to venture a guess as to who said that? Over there. At the back, yes. Sorry. Spy we've got Uncle Ben and we've got Spider-Man. For those of you who don't know the Marvel Universe, that's the same thing. Okay, so Uncle Ben and Spider-Man related. With great power comes great responsibility. Well, depending on who you believe and what you read, um, actually the first person to say that was Winston Churchill. See, Davina's nodding there. She knew that. There, there, there we go. She just didn't want to shout that out. Winston Churchill apparently said it in 1906. But then we, you are absolutely right, in the 60s, um, it was in the uh, Spider-Man comics, Uncle Ben, um, well, it was an narration originally, it's been attributed to Uncle Ben to say um, about Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So you're both right in that sense. In fact, no one said that actually it possibly comes from the Bible as well. Um, in Luke chapter 12, there's a verse that says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who's been entrusted with much, much will be asked, which I know isn't the same thing, but it's kind of the same sentiment. But there we go. With, um, with great power comes great responsibility. And especially in those days, the word spoken would have great power and there would be great responsibility for the teachers of the day that would influence the listeners who are very young in their faith. And even today, those that teach and advise others potentially have a great deal of influence on their listeners. After all, do you remember a teacher from school? 
I mean, they might not have necessarily looked like this chap, but you know, you get the idea. Do you remember a teacher from school and something that they said or the way they taught may have really encouraged you and inspired you in a particular subject? Or conversely, it might have completely put you off a subject and something that you didn't want to touch ever again in your life. Our teachers, in all aspects of life, have a great level of responsibility. And I know that we've got some teachers and TAs in the congregation this morning. So let's pray for our teachers as they teach our young people and the responsibility they have, that that would be something positive that they would take with the rest of their lives. If you're teaching someone how to play a musical instrument, or if you're teaching someone how to play a sport, if you don't teach correctly, if you get the basics wrong, you can essentially take away the potential for that person to excel in that particular in, um, instrument or that particular sport. So I think that's one of the reasons that James is putting in here. There's a great responsibility on those who teach for the ones that they lead. And in terms of Christian teachers, it is a great responsibility today. So I'd really encourage you to pray especially for Joe, who's vicar here, who's leading our church, and for Mike and for Ritesh that are coming on as well, as they take on and continue this responsibility of teaching and leading the church. I know it's something that Joe definitely doesn't take lightly, so he'd really appreciate your prayers in terms of helping him and encouraging him as he leads us and he's, as he teaches and however, it's not just about the position, uh, but it's also about the medium that teachers use, and that's the medium of words. And that's obviously what the rest of this chapter um, is about, and this is what James goes on to say. He says, we all stumble in many ways. So James is now making it clear, we all stumble. He's stopped talking about just teachers, and he's bringing this now into the general. He's talking about all his listeners, all his readers, all of us. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now the word that he uses, the Greek word that James uses for perfect here is the same one that we see um, at the beginning of James, in James chapter 1. It doesn't actually kind of mean perfect in the same way as we understand it now, kind of completely without fault. Um, in James chapter 1, it talks about perseverance making us mature and complete. And that's the word that's translated the same as perfect. So it's really talking about living a life that's consistent with our profession of faith in Christ. Basically having unmixed motives. In other words, a description of what a truly mature Christian is. So anyone who is never at fault in what they say is mature in their faith, they're living a consistent life. So it says, if we control our tongue, we're able to keep our whole body in check. How does that work? Well, if you've ever been unfortunate enough to be in a position where you've seen a fight between two people, um, usually at a pub, usually at a kicking out time, usually fueled by alcohol. I know there's at least one person in our congregation, I'm sure, has seen um, a few of those because of his profession or his f um, former profession. Usually these fights don't start just as physical. They usually start with words. Somebody says something, somebody overhears someone, somebody responds, it starts to escalate. The words get worse, the words get louder, and it eventually ends up in physical violence. 
James is saying if we control the words that we say, then our actions are more likely to be able to follow in a controlled way. And the word at the end of this uh, sentence, the words in check, literally uh, mean uh, to do with a horse, to do with keeping in check, having a bridle, and keeping it going on a straight course. And this takes us on to the next verses, where James uses a couple of examples from everyday life. And it would have been everyday life, certainly, for, for the, his uh, listeners and for his, uh, the people that were reading what he'd written then, about having a horse and having a bit in its mouth that helps to guide it, and also a rudder on a ship. These were illustrations that in the Greco-Roman um, world that he inhabited were familiar similes. They were in quite a lot of the literature at the time to use horses and to use ships as illustrations for different things. So they'd been very familiar for the listener. And they're not unfamiliar for us today. We can identify with this. In verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Not in necessarily in terms of boasting, again, like we would perhaps think about it, more in a neutral way. Maybe the human tongue is physically small, but what tremendous effects it can boast of. Using the illustrations here, the tongue is able to define the direction of travel. Even when there's a ship that's being buffeted by the winds and by trouble and by violence around it, the rudder though it's small, is able to guide it on the right path to go. And James is saying we can help to control the direction of the, our lives, the way in which we love, live our lives, if we can control the way we speak. For example, for somebody who doesn't gossip, will soon develop a reputation for a person being a person of integrity, a person to be trusted and may well find that they're often confided in. We know that our words can lead to conversations. Those conversations might lead to speaking with the person that you end up marrying. Or our words lead to conversations that end up with us getting a different job or changing our life in some other way. Just like a small rudder can alter the course of huge ship. Our tongue can have an enormous impact on the way we live our lives. Moving on to the next part. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So James is moving on from illustrations of a small a bit or a small rudder on a horse or a ship to a small spark that has a huge effect it can set a whole forest on fire. In James's day, there would have been vast areas of scrubland up the mountainside. Maybe not forest, green forest like we would see, but very dry scrub bushland, which would very easily catch on fire. And it would have been a common occurrence to, to see these on fire for miles. And we use that term, spread like wildfire. Today, when we talk about a disease... That's something that's obviously been very relevant in the last couple of uh, years. Or even perhaps how a rumor spreads. We might say it spreads like wildfire. It expands throughout a population quickly. And you know, if James was using this illustration in his day, when speech was very much about one-on-one, -on -one, two people in the same room talking to each other like that, that was essentially the method of communication he was talking about. 
how much more relevant is it for us today with this illustration in regards to speech? How much more apt is it when we know that words can cross the globe and reach millions of people in mere seconds, whether that's the spoken word or whether that's the typed word? James probably wouldn't have even been able to imagine that that was possible now, but how relevant it is. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. Words have a permanence to them in at least a couple of ways. I think words have a permanence to the hearer. Words don't just go out into the ether to disappear, never to be heard again. If I speak to you face to face and I say something unkind or hurtful or untrue to you, those words stay with us. They have a permanence. We remember those things in our life. And today, words that are conveyed electronically, as we might type on forums or use social media or communicate, there's a permanence to those. We often hear about someone in the public eye who's had their social media profile contributions searched going back only to find a tweet that they put out many years ago that maybe they'd rather not have done now. It's out there. It's permanent. The words are so important. In James chapter 1, uh, Joe talked um, a few weeks about, ago about the verse, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. And I think James was way ahead of his time. That verse, be quick to listen but slow to speak, we could just as easily say nowadays, be quick to listen, be slow to type. Moving on to verse 6. James continues that metaphor of the tongue as fire. He says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And this verse essentially reminds us that the tongue has a great power for destruction. Remember that? Little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Never has a bigger pile of rubbish ever been written or said. We know that in our lives, don't we? That's not true. And I think the words from Proverbs 12 are more of a truism. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. We know that words can be incredibly painful. Words are so powerful that we could maybe still be haunted by words spoken over us that were hurtful or loving words that were withheld from us many years ago. They stay with us. And just like a piercing sword, those words can leave scars behind. Joe mentioned a few weeks ago that it's often difficult to preach on a passage because when you're preparing for it, you realize that a light gets shined, first of all, into your own life. And reading this passage, I realize that words that I've spoken to people over the last couple of weeks, to be honest, probably over the last couple of days, to be honest with you, are words that I wish I hadn't said, some of them, or at least words that I wish I hadn't said in the way that I had. 
but words just seem sometimes to slip out. It's so difficult to tame the tongue, which is what James goes on um, to say in verse 7 about taming animals, but the tongue is so difficult to tame. But you notice that James doesn't actually specify in this passage any sort of specific words um, or, or forms of speech. He's actually more concerned with communicating why it's important that we control um, our tongue, what comes out of our mouths. He leaves the readers or the listeners to fill in those blanks for themselves, which is what we can do. And it doesn't take a great deal of thought to talk about or to think about those kind of words that can be destructive in nature, like a fire. Words that belittle other people. Straight out lies, or what we might call white lies, which are essentially not lies, but they're not telling the truth either. Words of arrogance that seek to build us up, make us more important to the eyes of others. Words of criticism, gossip, words of blame, words of anger and aggression, words of condemnation. Words that induce doubt in other people. There's a term that's become quite familiar now called gaslighting, which is essentially a form of emotional abuse within a relationship where one person uses words to break down the other partner's ability to trust their own perception in life. So many ways that we know that our words can be used in a destructive way. Psalm chapter 141. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What does a guard do? They control who comes in through an entrance. They make sure that only people that are welcome can pass through. I think this is a really apt prayer for us. It's a real apt prayer for myself this morning. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. A prayer that we ask God would, that we, he would only allow words to pass through our lips that are going to be welcome or that are going to be constructive to others in this world. However, it would be remiss of us to pass this verse by where um, James is talking about tongues and fire without recognizing the connection with a passage in Acts that we've talked about already this morning, Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles to give them power. Um, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Receiving the Holy Spirit um, in Acts was for the apostles to carry out Jesus' commission to witness to the world. They, the tongues of fire were a symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit coming down to enable them to communicate Jesus' love to all. And that essentially became a wildfire that then spread across the globe. So in the same way that Words can be destructive and can be hurtful. 
and can tell and can cause untold damage. Words of love and grace and understanding and truth and encouragement and kindness and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. Those type of words can spread far and spread wide and spread deep and touch lives with the good news of God's love for his whole creation. And we have that power at our disposal. We have that power on our lips, on our fingers, if we're communicating by words and typing them out. We've got that, communi- that ability to spread words of positivity, words of grace, words of love to those around us. We can bless others, as James comes on to say at the end of the chapter, with our words. And while our tongues can never be fully tamed, they can be redeemed. God's given us the gift of speech. It's with our words that we can praise him. It's with our words that we can comfort others. It's with our words we can fight injustice and speak out for the poor and the oppressed. And it's with our words that we can share God's love. We can share that gospel uh, message with others. So ultimately, we come back full circle to what James was talking about um, at the beginning of the chapter. That if through the power of the Holy Spirit we can begin to control our words, we can start to demonstrate a maturity and a completeness in our faith. The words that we speak, the manner in which we say them, whether they've got overt spiritual or religious connotation or not, just the manner in which we say them and the words we use demonstrates our relationship with God and can communicate something of Jesus to those around us.